welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. When I was uh, 25 years old, uh, I found myself at a crisis point. Um, And maybe you've been in one of those similar situations where all of a sudden uh, you are at a a crisis point in your life. Maybe it has to do with faith or hope. Maybe it has to do with the preferred future that you thought was out in front of you and things changing. Maybe it has to do with the plans that God is unfolding in your life and they don't look the way that you thought that they might. But I found myself in that place and I had been in full-time ministry for three years and ministry was going great. Church was going great. That area of life was flourishing and fruitful, but there were other areas of my life that had proved disappointing. Uh, Directions that I thought I was going, relationships that were being pursued, things along those lines that were not going the direction that I thought that they would, and certainly didn't look to see as if the hand of God was in them. And so as I began to be disappointed and kind of disillusioned with those areas of life, Uh, As a result, I began to be disappointed in the Lord. And maybe you've been in that place. Uh, Maybe you're in that place this morning. But I found myself in that place, and I did what many of us do when we get to kind of a breaking point. Uh, I I threw up my hands and decided that I was going to walk away. Uh, Now, this was not a well-thought-out plan. This wasn't rehearsed. This was spur of the moment, as oftentimes giving up is. And so I got in my pickup truck, and I drove to the gas station. I filled my tank up with gas. I got a 64-ounce Dr. Pepper, and I went out of town. Uh, I was living in the Coachella Valley in Palm Springs at the time. I got on uh, the 10 freeway, and I started going east. And here was the plan at this point. I was going to drive to the Arizona border and then decide if I was ever coming home. And so as I drove off into the night, that was the scope of my well-thought-out giving up on life plan that I had going for me. And I share that with you uh, because I have been in other similar situations to that in life. Maybe not as as colorful of of a story, but oftentimes we deal with difficulties like that. And I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you wanted to give up? You know, where you wanted to just kind of walk away. Maybe it was on a a, a dream or a life direction or a career path or a relationship. Uh, Maybe it had to do with something a little bit more simple, just kind of like a diet or fitness regime or something else that was kind of tending to your own self-care that that you felt disciplined in pursuing, but it just, it got difficult or you weren't seeing the results that you wanted. And so it was just like, you know what, I'm I'm just going to be done with that. Maybe you have had an ongoing bout with some type of addictive behavior and you've been at that point of giving up and relapse was right there crouching and waiting for that moment. What I, what I found in myself and in walking with other, others is that at that point of giving up, there is a sense of hopelessness that, that really at that moment of truth comes this question in our hearts, is, is there really enough hope in me, enough faith in me to believe that something could be different out in front, or is this just the way that it's always going to be? And at that place of hopelessness, we typically respond by throwing our hands up. 
And I think we've all maybe worked for an employer that we fantasized about that moment when we were going to walk out on that job, right? We were going to throw our hands up, maybe a finger up, and we were going to walk out the door. We're going to be done with this. But we find ourselves in in those places. And I share that with you because the text that we're going to look at this morning is in, it's found in Luke chapter 24. And Luke chapter 24 is, is full of a number of narratives that lay out what that Resurrection Sunday was like, what, what it was like as people were discovering that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he was alive, that there was a resurrected Savior, and what that looked like. And we look back, and we celebrate it. We dress up for Easter. I tucked my shirt in for you today. That's the extent of dressing up. But it's like we put forth the effort, and we come, and we celebrate, and, and we sing, and declare the goodness of God, and we look back on that day with, with great joy and merriment, but that day was not a day like that. For the followers of Jesus, it was, it was a, a perplexing day. It was a bewildering day. There, it was confusing. All of their joy had been at Jesus coming to Jerusalem. All of their joy had centered on celebrating Passover, and this was it. This is the moment that they'd been waiting for. Jesus was going to do all that they had hoped that he would do, and then instead he's dead. And it wasn't like a prolonged trial. It wasn't drawn out. It was instant. It was Friday. He's, he's, he's gone. And on Saturday, as they celebrate the Sabbath, they got to rest in that broken disappointment. They got to sit in that uncertainty. They got to feel the depth of all of their disappointment, and they got to feel the sense of all of their hope being lost. And then here comes Resurrection Sunday, and the women come to the tomb to tend to his body because they didn't do it on the Sabbath because they celebrated the Sabbath. And so they come on Sunday, but now all of a sudden Jesus isn't there and there's an encounter with angels and and they're trying to wrap their heads around it and they're bringing the news back to the disciples and the disciples can't believe it. And so they're running and they're checking it out. They don't see any angels, but they do see that Jesus is gone. And so there's all of these questions, all of these theories, all of these thoughts about what could be taking place. And it's almost as if there would be an unwillingness, maybe in me and maybe in you, to hope beyond all hope that that Jesus would actually be alive, that there would be a resurrected Savior. This was not what they had anticipated or thought or planned, and it wasn't something that they could really wrap their hearts even around. And as we get to Luke chapter 24, particularly looking at a couple of followers of Jesus as they leave Jerusalem, we see typically our response to being disappointed where we just throw our hands up and we walk out. If you've got your Bible, and I invite you to go ahead and get it out and raise it up. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. If you're like, I don't have the Bible app, you can start downloading it right now. You'll have it by the time I'm done praying. It's never been easier to get God's word at least into your pocket, even if you're not getting it into your heart Get it on your phone. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, give us a a heart that is hungry for your word. Lord, knowing that it is living and active and that when it goes forth, it produces fruit. Lord, help us to receive it today, to take it in and to let it bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Your Bible's out, Luke chapter 24. 
starting in verse 13. I'm going to read this narrative. I'll offer a few comments as we go through, but then two specific encouragements and maybe reminders for us as we face issues of crisis in our life, maybe that we're going through today or ones that we will bump into in the future. But so Resurrection Sunday has happened. The, the women have reported, the disciples have run to the tomb, and there's all of these uh, theories, all of these thoughts about what is taking place, but two have already decided how they're going to respond. Verse 13 says, now on that same day, two of them, two of these Christ followers, two of these disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And so as this narrative begins, if you've got a Bible that's got a heading in it, it will be uh, oftentimes called the, the Road to Emmaus or the Emmaus Road, because this encounter happens between two followers of Christ and the resurrected Jesus. As they're leaving Jerusalem, as they're walking away, and it begins, it doesn't tell us their names to begin with. They're nondescript, they're anonymous. Many scholars believe that it was a husband and wife that were leaving together. There's some context to why that is, and we won't go into that this morning, but it is something to kind of think about. But as Luke begins to write, he doesn't give us their names. He names one a little bit later, and we'll bump into that as well. But he leaves it anonymous so that you and I can read ourselves into this narrative, so we can consider what we would be doing and how we would be responding if all of our hopes had now seemed lost. And as we were wrestling out the possibility that the impossible could have happened. These two are walking away from Jerusalem, away from the place that they just celebrated Passover, away from the place that they just celebrated Jesus' entrance with Palm Sunday, away from all of the, the central celebrating uh, presence of God in the people of God. They're, they're leaving. Their hands are up and they're walking away. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And so as they are leaving, as they're walking away from everything that they had hoped, everything that they had thought, as they're leaving, and it doesn't tell us whether they're, they're going with any intention, they could be going home, they could have been celebrating Passover and returning to where they were from, or they could have just gassed up their truck and said, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm probably not coming back. And it's into that context that Jesus comes and walks along with them, and they don't recognize him. And this could be that they, they, they uh, are so overcome with grief that they don't really pay attention. It doesn't say that Jesus was necessarily disguised, or it could be that they were so shrouded in brokenness that there was something that kept them from realizing who he was, but they don't recognize him. And as he comes alongside them, he asks, what are you discussing? What are you talking about together on the road, and they stood still with their faces downcast. They were depressed. They were broken. They didn't even look up at him. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there these days? Where have you been, buddy? Like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And Jesus, so playfully, he says, What things? Now, I kind of giggle at Jesus' playfulness here. When my kids do that to me, it's not so funny right? When I'm trying to, I know they know what I'm talking about. What are you talking about, dad? Like, that's another story. And so they answer and they say about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. They knew he was more than a teacher. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And in that statement, they give voice to their disappointment. We had hoped that he was going to change things. We had hoped that he was the one. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was going to right the things that are wrong. He was going to bring life out of death. He was the one that we were always waiting for. We had hoped. See, they didn't hold this hope any longer. They're walking away. Their hope had gone disappointed. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And in addition... Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him there. And so they're they're confused. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what to think. They don't know whose word to take or to trust. And so their hands are up, and they're walking away. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so as they walked along, Jesus gave them a Bible study in the Old Testament that walked through all of the prophetic words that spoke of who the Messiah was and what he was going to do and how it was going to be accomplished. You could do that study even on your own, and it's, it's a, a, a pretty incredible journey to walk through the Old Testament and to see how it was laid out and walked out and experienced in the life of Christ. But as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give to them. And Luke is drawing on the imagery of communion. He is drawing on the imagery of the Passover meal that the disciples had shared with Jesus. He's drawing on the imagery of the feeding of the 5,000 and so many times where Jesus offered himself in this way. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? As he was explaining the truth of God's word, there was something happening in them that was resurrecting hope, that was resurrecting this faith, that was resurrecting the possibilities. And this is their response. They got up at once and they returned to Jerusalem. They told Jesus to stay and hang out with them because it was too late to be traveling. Do you remember that? But at this news, at this moment, it was like nuts to that. We got to get back. And they made a U-turn and they ran back to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were assembled with them. And they were all talking about this stuff. They were all talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And Simon at this point, Peter at this point had seen Jesus and he's giving testimony to it. And so these two return. And they tell what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bread together. I want you to just consider for a moment the circumstance that they found themselves in. They were deeply disappointed. Deeply, they had put all of their hope in Jesus and seemingly none of it was realized. They had placed all of their hope, all of their faith. They had served wholeheartedly. They had pursued the Lord, and it didn't come to the end that they thought, and, and they were demoralized. Can you sympathize with that? Have you been there? 
Have you been in that place where as you pursued the Lord, as you uh, enjoyed your journey of faith with Jesus, that, that things kind of took a sudden turn or you encountered a difficulty that you hadn't anticipated or something that you had fervently prayed for, God answered with no. Like, have you wrestled those things out? If you haven't, they will come. Maybe you're in a place where, where like them, your faith has wavered, or maybe it's not something that you've ever acted on before at all. Maybe this morning you're just kind of dipping your toe into, uh, into the possibilities that Jesus could actually make a difference in your life. Maybe you've tried everything else up to this point, and this is your last place of hope. They had lost faith, they had lost hope, they were deeply depressed, they were deeply confused. They weren't sure what to believe, and so they were giving up and walking away. And there's two things that I find uh, of deep encouragement that we're going to touch on for just a moment. That if you're in a dark moment like this, if you've got a place in your life where, where things seem to be wavering, where you are in a dark night of the soul, these will be helpful encouragements for you to hold on to now, and if not, they will be great reminders to keep for when you do face difficulties like this. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 15, this is the first principle that we find in this, is that, uh, let's read the verse together, it'll be on the screen, it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. If you're a note taker, if you're somebody who highlights in your Bible, Jesus himself, circle that, underline that. You might have a little bit of a different phrase depending on your translation, but I would highlight that. And, and here is a point of encouragement. Jesus will come and meet you in your place of disappointment. But he, he will pursue you. We often suffer under the misnomer that says, for Jesus to make a difference in my life, I have to get back to him. That somehow I have to make reparations for my failure, for my sin, for my rebellion, for my detour, that somehow I've got to get back to him for him to make a difference. In fact, I've had conversations with people over and over who, who suffer under this guilt that says, I've got to get back to church Pastor, I know that you haven't seen me for a while as if I'm keeping notes. I do. I've got a secret gold chart. No, I'm just teasing. But Pete, we labor under this thought that somehow, like, Pastor, I've, I know I need, to, I need to get back to church. Do you know that you don't need to get back to church? You need to meet Jesus, and he can meet you where you are, and he will draw you into a church family and a community that will help you grow and will support you, but you need to meet Jesus, and if your uh, movement towards church even this morning was kind of that first thought, can I tell you that today you need to meet Jesus before you leave? That it's not about the attendance, but it's about the intention and the relationship with him. Jesus comes to meet us in our hopelessness, and certainly they were hopeless. Verse 21, the first part of that verse, they had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And can I tell you, there is a deep, there, there is a deep sense of peace that comes when you can recognize that you can lose hope in Jesus and he will still pursue you. You can lose hope. You can lose faith 
You can be in a place where you turn away and begin to walk in a different direction. You can be at a point of giving up on your pursuit of the things of the kingdom of God, but Jesus will still pursue you. There is a great assurance that comes from knowing that. Clearly they didn't believe. Clearly they were leaving. They were going back home or just going into nowhere. But Jesus came and met them in that space. He pursued them in their disappointment. And he came and found his way to them. And that is a surprising thing to us because we don't often encounter relationships like that in the natural. When we turn our back and walk away from somebody who has disappointed us, we don't often have them reciprocate that action by pursuing us and trying to make things right, by looking to reconcile and to repair the relationship. Most of the time when we respond in that way, the relationship is doomed. But that's not how your heavenly father sees you or pursues you. That's not how Jesus responds to those moments of disappointment. And in fact, uh, he gives a parable in Matthew chapter 18 that tells us that God's heart isn't even towards that. He speaks of the, uh, the 100 sheep where one is lost and 99 are held back. And he says, if that's the case, if that happens to you, how many of you don't pursue the one? It, certainly they do. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier than the one sheep, than the 99 that did not wander off. And then here's the, the turn of phrase that gives us the heart of the Father. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. In the same way, our Father in heaven pursues us, even when we're walking away from him in disappointment even when we don't have answers to the questions that we're asking, even when what we had hoped for has not come to pass and we do not believe we can hope any longer. He pursues us to that end. And then the second thing that you see is that Jesus doesn't just show up and not make a difference. He doesn't just show up and just kind of inhabit that space and then leave us to our own devices. He comes and he answers our doubts. He addresses the questions that we have. And certainly they were perplexed. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. They had heard this. They had heard that. They had experienced this. They had experienced that. They didn't know what else to do, so they were just going to leave. And Jesus comes into the middle of that, and verse 27 is so kind. It's so loving that he took the time to do this. But as Jesus corrects their perspective of what is taking place in their life, it says in Scripture that he began with the books of Moses and all the prophets and explained to them, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, he's giving them a Bible tutorial of prophetic things that were spoken of the Christ and showing how they were fulfilled in him. He took the time to answer their questions. He took the time to instruct them. He took the time to speak to their disappointment. He took the time to acknowledge their doubt, but then to deal with it as well. And he actually goes even beyond that because it goes beyond just kind of like this tutorial or this study or this, come on guys, you should know this type of a moment, to sitting at the table with them and sharing a meal where all of the imagery there suggests the Passover, suggests as he had instituted communion, suggests the miraculous feeding of the 4,000 and of the 5,000, suggests this intimate moment where Jesus is meeting their very real present needs with his own person, the resurrected Christ 
in that place. And as he extended bread and as he did that so often, he was not just extending something to eat. He was extending an invitation. He was always extending an invitation to receive him. And even in the book of John, as it talks about the feeding of the 5,000, the conversation that Jesus had with the masses after that, he's saying, you're missing the point. If you think it's a free sandwich, I am the bread of life. He's offering that to you and I. And you may be in a place where you are walking an Emmaus road, where you are disappointed, where you're disillusioned, where you are hopeless. Or maybe there's just an area of life that looks like that. For me, ministry was great. There were other things in my life that were deeply disappointed. But Jesus will meet you where you are, and he will address your doubts. Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. Did you know that? We feel as if somehow we can't even reveal that we struggle with those types of thoughts, that we struggle with those types of crisis of faith. But Jesus comes and meets you in that place, and then he speaks and directs and offers himself in the midst of that, bringing you back to not just faith, but to relationship with him. That's always that invitation. As I drove further into the night, I, I found myself praying. And I know what you're thinking. Well, of course, pastor, you were going to pray. Now, what I tell you was praying didn't sound a lot like what you would think praying should sound like. I call it praying, but it was more yelling and shouting uh, ugly cry, and utilizing some language that's not suitable for Sunday morning platform ministry. I was real, and I was raw, and I was hurt, and I was angry, and I was disappointed, and my hope was waning. And in that place, I dropped every pretense I dropped all of the airs of trying to come to the Lord and somehow show myself approved, and I just bore my heart and my soul to him. And I don't know if this was a miraculous moment, although it brought about a miraculous change in me. But at the end of one of those tirades, just like letting the Lord have it with what I thought and how I felt, I grabbed my 64-ounce soda and went to bring it up to take a drink, and I grabbed it from the top of the cup, and you know what's going to happen. As I lifted it up to take a drink, the lid and straw stayed in my hand, and the whole cup dropped straight down and kept itself on the edge of my seat for just a moment, and then it tipped forward filling my shoes and my socks and my floorboard with Dr. Pepper and little ice snowballs. And this was not a pious moment. I screamed as loud as I could, and I took the next exit. And standing there in the dark, angry, and throwing soda out of my floor mats, the Lord spoke to me. And it wasn't audible, but it was as close to an audible experience that I've had with the Lord. But he spoke something directly to my heart that wasn't a rebuke. It wasn't a harsh word, but it was something that drew me to the heart of the Father. 
And I got back in my truck. I turned around. And just like the two on the road to Emmaus, I went back home. The Lord will meet you in those places. Jesus will meet you in those moments. And he will speak to your doubts. He will speak to your disappointments. He will speak to those places in your life where you say, I don't have any hope left for this issue. I don't have any hope left for this person. I don't have any hope left for this relationship. I don't have any hope left for this dream that he will come and he will sit in that space with you and he will speak to those doubts, not about just changing things to your preferred future, but assuring you that he is with you and that he will walk you into the fullness of his plans and purposes for your life. And in those moments, you will have a faith and a hope that rises back up in you that says, I can keep going. Where you pull down your hands from giving up and you offer yourself back to him to move into the things that he would have for you. Church family, I want to invite you to stand this morning. Worship team, if you would come forward. When I read the road to Emmaus, when I read that story, I think the most loving thing, the kindest thing that Jesus did was when he sat with those two disciples. When he sat with them to eat with them and took the time to, as he broke the bread and extended that to them, to remind them of all that he had promised to do. And for you and I in that gesture, when we celebrate communion, when we are reminded of Jesus's, not just his death, but his resurrection, that he is a resurrected savior, that he is a living king. We're reminded that because he was broken, that we can be made whole. And we're reminded that because his blood was shed for us, that we can have newness of life. And that because he lives, we might also live in him. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the message paraphrase puts this verse in these terms. Jesus says, I have come that you would have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Life that begins today and stretches on into eternity, not a life in eternity that you have to somehow endure brokenness until you get to but that Jesus would meet you in this space today and to begin to transform you, begin to work his new life in you in preparation for all of the fullness that comes. He brings healing and wholeness. He brings freedom and release. The Bible word, the church word around that is the word salvation. And we almost always think of it as I'm just saved from hell and to heaven, but you are saved for a plan and a purpose to experience the fullness of the things of the kingdom of God. And the word in scripture that is translated for salvation is often understood as made whole. And that salvation, that being made whole, 
That's the starting point for enjoying a rich and full life today that stretches into eternity. And so where do you begin? Where do you begin? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will experience salvation. You will be made whole. And this verse can be applied to kind of that heaven and hell, eternity, destiny type of context where when you profess your faith in Christ that you are now saved, that you are now preserved, but it is also something that can be applied to the places in your life that are still yet broken, that still yet to seem to be without hope, that are still kind of dark moments, that into those places you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of that issue, Jesus is Lord of that circumstance, Jesus is Lord of that difficulty, Jesus is Lord of that challenging problem, that Jesus is Lord in that place, and that he is living, that he is alive, and because of that, you can be made whole in that area as well. Lord, we come to you today, and we thank you that you pursue us even in moments where we have given up, Lord, when our own faith and hope may be waning, when we're disillusioned or disappointed in life's outcome, Lord, when we're tempted to go back to the things that were before because it just seems like the things that were yet to be are not going to come. Thank you, Lord, that you pursue us. Thank you, Lord, that you answer our doubts. Thank you, Lord, that you are a living God, that you are mighty to save, and that you offer salvation today. Lord, for any heart here who has not yielded itself to you, Lord, for any heart here, for any life here who has not declared that you are Lord, that hasn't believed in their heart, that you've been raised from the dead, Lord, let that work be done today. Holy Spirit, speak to them and bring them to a place of confessed faith in you. And Lord, for those other areas of our life where we need to speak your lordship over those places of hurt and disappointment, Lord, give us an increased faith and courage to do that. To recognize that you are with us, walking with us. To open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. To allow you to sit and to commune with us and offer yourself in invited relationship that we would respond and enjoy you in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus will continue to pursue you and he will answer your doubts. Happy Easter.